Okay, good evening, everybody. Tonight, we're going to be looking at question number three of the Baptist Catechism. And we're going to get our technical. All right, but first, just to put things in context. Oops, so this is going to be on delay. Okay. Um, just to remember, on question number one, who is the first and chiefest being? And we responded, everybody, God is the first and chiefest being. And uh, we had uh, several supporting scriptures. We actually had a multitude of them. These are the particular scriptures referenced. You have them on your handout. So I'm not going to uh, read them out right now, but just to remind ourselves uh, where we started and review question number two, ought everyone to believe there is a God that was uh, presented by Pastor Nick two weeks ago? And the answer is everyone ought to believe there is a God, and it is their great sin and folly who do not. So related to that, tonight, uh, these are the supporting scriptures. Question number three, and question number three reads, how may we know there is a God? And if everybody can read the response, it is the light of man and the works of God plainly declare there is a God, but his word do it fully and effectually for the salvation of sinners. So the question, fairly simple, the answer, not so much. And what we're looking at here is really a two-part answer. The first part referring to the light of nature and man and the works of God plainly declare there is a God and which actually is, has two parts in itself. The second part is much more, let's say, advanced. Uh, and his word and spirit only do it fully and effectually for the salvation of sinners. So you can see we're talking about fully developing the subject of knowing God. So when we look at, and this is all in your handout, you can jot notes down uh, as you see fit, but it's kind of, uh, when you first read that answer, and it talks about the light of nature in man, does that jump out at you as a, a clear phrase where you can immediately tell yourself, I know exactly what that is? And I know that when I read it, I said, oh, well, I'm going to need to read up on this. And hopefully, uh, if you have said that to yourself, you actually would choose to do that as well. There are some scriptures referenced here, Romans 1, 19 and 20. We re reviewed Romans 1, 19 and 20 uh, two weeks ago. We'll get into that again tonight, just a touch, Psalm 19. And uh, Acts 724 is kind of thrown in there more to remind us that even though we may know God, it isn't necessarily clear. Not everything is clear in this fallen world. So if we jump into the first part of the answer and actually the first part of the first answer what is the light of man? And we uh, read from Proverbs uh, twenty twenty seven that the spirit of man 
is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost parts. So, you read the proverb, and it sounds interesting, but it's going to take a little bit deeper digging. It's, it refers to, uh, you see the word lamp, you see the spirit of man, it's not the Holy Spirit, um, the lamp of the Lord, and searching his innermost parts, man's innermost parts. Well, what exactly is that? We get a little bit of clarification when we read uh, Romans chapter 2, and remembering that Romans starts out, I mean, it's, you know, with uh, just a brutal declaration of how depraved man is until you get to around uh, chapter 3, verse 23, and the solution, uh, the truth. Uh, but everything before that is, is it's, uh, it's, it's very damning as to man's nature in this fallen world. So in uh, Romans 2... We read, for when the Gentiles do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. And you've heard that before. So And, you know, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them, but accusing them is kind of a focus right now. What we're looking at with this spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. It's talking about your conscience. And I think we know this, but... That is what we're looking at. The question is, uh, how, can, how may we know there is a God? And so the first part of the first half of the answer is that we have a conscience and that the law of God is written on our hearts. Uh, chapter 2 of Romans talks about the Gentiles who did not have the law, yet the law was written on their hearts. They know that the difference between good and evil. So I took a, like a definition of conscience uh, from the MacArthur Study Bible. I took it out of the notes uh, on uh, the passage, 2 Corinthians 2.12. The soul's warned conscience is a soul's warning system which allows human beings to contemplate their motives and actions and make moral evaluations of what is right and wrong. So this is the first part of the answer as to how may we know there is a God. When we jump into, uh, well, actually, there's, so there's a few related questions. I'll just run through these right now. So this is a question that you may ask yourselves, is the light obscured by the fall? Short answer, the Reader's Digest answer is yes. Uh, for those of us that are fortunate enough to be in the adult Bible study and we're studying the book of Ephesians, you'll remember this verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Uh, 
because of the fall, we are depraved, we are hardened, and no one seeks God. And uh, so the short answer, yes, the fall has obscured this light. But is it sufficient then to teach us anything, this light, this conscience that we have? And in 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen, we read, uh, does not nature itself teach you? So again, the short answer is yes. We still have a basic instinct, something that tells us that there's something big out there, something powerful, something majestic, something indescribable and incomprehensible. And we see this uh, just from our very conscience. Another question, uh, does it instruct us in the being of a God, that the fact that, that God exists, and then Romans 1.19, which Romans 1.19, 120, we'll, we'll see Romans 1.20 in a minute. Uh, for what could be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. It's kind of like almost a, a summary statement. This is the Apostle Paul writing, basically explaining to us we have no excuse. Um, this is where I would have inserted a, um, a, a three-minute diatribe on creation versus evolution, but I know myself, and it will not be three minutes. <laughs> it will go on to three hours, and we're only here, what, till 10 tonight? So I'd, I'd run out of time. Uh, anyway, I, I'll just try to limit, uh, this is the, the person asking, well, you know, that's great that you have Bible verses, but, you know, I don't believe the Bible. And we do believe the Bible, and all Scripture is breathed by God. It's all true, so we know that. But if we just extend the statements to Look around you. What do you see? How can you explain the vastness of the universe? What are you going to believe that trillions of universes or uh, not? Excuse me, solar systems have uh, been declared to exist by scientists? I don't really have time to get into the branches of science, but there's observable science, and then there's what you might call um, observable or forensic science, where you try to back into something, something like the creation of the universe. Uh, uh, observational science would be something that you can observe. It's in a laboratory. You can repeat the experiment, but you have to do that in the here and the now, whereas forensic science is going to be, I wasn't there, I'm going to try to pull information out and kind of back into a, a theory, which is as close as anybody has gotten. And when you look at backing into the theory of uh, trillions of solar systems, which have trillions of stars, it's like, where did all that matter come from? We just never get that answer. I mean, the answer from scientists who think they are observational but they're really doing a forensics is that they cannot explain 
I, I want to use the word squat. That's a, just a short term, okay? Uh, and our conscience tells us there's more to it than what people are trying to explain to us with macroevolution or a Big Bang theory. I'm not a scientist. I am an engineer. Uh, I know how to think. I think everyone here knows how to think. And you look around and you try to figure out how the universe could come about. Then go look at your body. And you look at the theories of macroevolution with, uh, you know, fishes becoming birds. You know, they just changed from one species to another. Everything came originally from a sponge or something like that. A lot of things that can't be explained, but I'm just saying, look at yourself. You look at yourself, you have a heart, you have a brain. The brain runs the heart, and it's a very complex brain. The heart supplies blood and therefore oxygen to the brain, which needs lungs, by the way, and some blood vessels. And so how do you get a gradual development of, so what came first, the brain or the heart? The brain can't come before the heart because it doesn't get any oxygen from blood. The heart can't come before the brain because it doesn't have a brain to tell it to pump. And of course, the heart needs blood vessels. And where did they come from? Why would blood vessels show up if there's no heart to pump stuff through? Anyway, it's just like basic reasoning that it's our conscience tells us there's more complexity uh, to the point that there is a God. Okay, so that's the first part of the answer. Uh, anybody want to join in on discussion afterwards? Do we have to be anywhere tonight, Carol? Okay. So the second half of the answer uh, that's underlined, the works of God plainly declare there is a God. And, and there's so many passages that we could go through, um, but uh, I'm just going to have a couple questions put up there for consideration. May God be known by his, by his works of creation. And there you have in Romans 1.20 is a definitive statement that his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. And when we ask the question, do the heavenly bodies prove the being of a God? And the short answer again is yes. Uh, Psalm of David, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky, uh, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Another basic question, well, what about the human body? And we just talked about that. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Uh, what about other creatures? What about God's work of providence? Ask Job. But ask the beasts, and they will teach you. The birds of heaven, and they will tell you. Who among, these, uh, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? Um, you can, from Scripture, uh, find just a multitude uh, of, uh, well, of, of God's words explaining his presence and his works and his acts. Uh, it could be, you know, the... The handwriting on the wall, all right? It could be Daniel not being mauled in the lion's den. Could be 
the 10 plagues in Egypt. It could be the uh, crossing the, the Red Sea, the splitting of the Red Sea, uh, getting, living, getting water out of a rock in the middle of a desert. I don't know if you've tried that recently, going out into the desert, finding a rock, striking it with a stick, and seeing if water will come out. Um, I did it once. It didn't work. I'm pretty sure the next time I do it, it will be the same result. So what about judgment? What about mercy? The Lord has made himself known. He's executed judgment. The wicked are snared, the works of their own hands. Uh, you know, think about the, and I'm going to get the number wrong, perhaps 23,000 uh, that were swallowed up by the uh, earth. Um, in, uh, in Exodus, I want to say. Korah's Rebellion. Okay, yeah, Korah's Rebellion. Um, Acts 14, 7, and there they continued to uh, uh, preach. So I pulled out the wrong, we're going to move on. Okay. Prophecy. So this is, this is a, a major, it's a, it's a subject that we don't have time to, uh, f- obviously, to fully develop. That is a, a seminar. But um, Isaiah says, uh, remember the former things of old, for I am God, or he, he's recording God's word, that there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. He didn't need help because God created the end from the beginning so he could tell us what it would be. My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. But the number of prophecies that have come true uh, is uh, a magnitude that would be beyond a number that we would understand. And then... uh, the question is kind of like coming to the end of this first part, but have men known, uh, have men by these means attained sufficient knowledge of God? And we read in 1 Corinthians, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Um, it's not enough to just know of God, even the devil believes uh, that there is a God. Uh, So that's why there's going to be a second part to this answer. The first part, uh, we have all the evidence that we need to know of God, but do we have everything that we need to know God? We will get to questions afterwards. John's gears are turning. So part two is where we get into the next step. It's not just a matter of knowing of God, but knowing God. And this is where the second half of the answer to the question, um, uh, how may we know there is a God? And the second half would be, but his word and spirit only do it fully and effectually for the salvation of sinners. So this would be more uh, knowing God in the sense that God knows us. So in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, verses 9 and 10, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So 
we require God's participation in our lives. And when I say participation, it's not a 50-50 deal. A hundred and zero is more like it when it comes to salvation. Second Timothy 3:15 and 16, when we and and you know these are verses that that you've read before, many of you anyway. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, <clears throat> which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So it's going to be a faith. All right. I'll just pretend. No. Um, we, we're looking at um, how God must intercede in our lives. We do not have the ability to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. I don't know if you've ever tried that. But your, uh, you know, if we were still back in the book of Isaiah, our righteousness, our righteous works are uh, like filthy rags. Uh, there are no amount of works that would impress God. It is 100 uh, percent God's work unto salvation for us. So the summary statement when we look about look at both knowing of God and knowing God, we may know of God by general revelation. But to know God unto salvation and eternal life requires special revelation. And that's where the first half of the answer is talking about general revelation. The second half is talking about special revelation and the work of the Holy Spirit for regeneration and the giving of faith leading to justification and adoption into the family of God. And that special revelation, we're referring to supernatural acts. The general revelation is natural. We can see it or put a hand on it or use our five senses to understand it. But special revelation, whether it is a, a miracle, whether it was a vision that God used to have his scripture written, whether it is the word of God, which is special revelation, um, special revelation and the work of the Holy Spirit are what is going to be required to know God. That is... It for now, I think I'll open up the floor to questions. John? Yeah, no, I was just saying, I, I was going to, uh, like you said, I like how you put together the orders. I mean, a lot of people think that, uh, or there's a misunderstanding of general and special revelation. And without regeneration, there is no special revelation. Many of the people who believe in, even in Jesus today, Asked Jesus for mercy for his family members. He said, "Mark, you come back from the dead," and they wouldn't believe. And when they come back from the dead, Jesus did, and they still saw him. 
and denied it and saw the miracles that were right there. There were people who were with uh, Moses as he part, you know, part of the Red Sea. Crossed it, got to the other side, didn't believe. So you see regeneration has to come before special revelation, whether it's prophecy, whether it's the general revelation of creation, whatever it is. You know, it's like all these things you've arranged here. It's like we have to see the work of God inside the sinner, inwardly, before they will ever see it outwardly. So um, a question could be asked if one witnesses a miracle, a supernatural act of God, would that person automatically believe? And we know that the answer is no, because many people witnessed uh, one act after another. I mean, the entire country of Egypt with the plagues. How many days did it take um, before uh, the Israelites started complaining after the uh, crossing of the Red Sea, the separated Red Sea, and it was like three days. Well, they, they complained before when they got to the Red Sea. <laughs> Were there enough graves in Egypt? <laughs> uh, yeah, but but then they witnessed the, yeah. the parting of the Red Sea, which, you know, I think for everyone in this room, we would think we would look at that and say, you know, I just, there's nobody that could do this but God. And I think people realized that it was God, but that didn't mean that they immediately wanted to commit their lives to following him, to making that God the Lord of their lives. It was for some, apparently, it was, you know, thank you very much for getting me out of trouble, and now I'm going to go on my own way. So, now I'm going to get into a new kind of trouble. <laughs> which they did. And witnessing a miracle... Witnessing a supernatural act does not guarantee anything. You would have to be awake to understand it. You'd have to be spiritually discerning. And I would agree that you would first then have to be regenerated. And that is where in the summary statement, the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, step, step one for the Holy Spirit would be the act of regeneration I am not ignoring uh, before the foundation of the earth, you know, God ordained, preordained or predestined uh, people to salvation. I'm just saying that in, you know, in the Ordo Salutis, that, that regeneration would occur before, well, certainly before that saving faith. Front row is awfully quiet. You must have a question. What has your dad been teaching you? What? To be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brendan. So I know on the previous topic that you know a lot of people would you know look at because I like study yesterday and you know reading I think it's Psalm seventy-eight talking about how you know the children of Israel went through the wilderness and saw miracle after miracle. If they kept on sinning anyways. And my friend was like, well, they're seeing all those miracles. How's it the fact they keep going back to their sin after all that? It's like, that doesn't even make any sense. And I was like, well, to put it in perspective, I could ask you, 
if you know that Jesus Christ came, you invite God for your sins and supernaturally regenerated you to where you hated him, to now where you love him and you're fully blessed, fully righteous and God in the heavenly places is blessed with all spiritual blessings. Why do you still hold on to the sins in your life that you refuse to let go then? Even though you have all the blessings you can ever imagine, that's greater than anything that the Old Testament saints knew about. Um, kind of puts a perspective. Because I would say the bigger miracle than the Red Sea or water coming out of the rocks is God regenerating a rebel sinner to be his own child that seeks him and loves him. And it's how wretched we were before he uh, saved us. So if this were a Sunday school class, I would then ask the question, what do you think is would would amaze you more that God parted the Red Sea or let's say the Atlantic Ocean or saving one sinner from their sin and regenerating, giving them faith, justifying them, What, what do you think would amaze you more? I don't know. I mean, Wait, oh, you can't get the answer wrong because I'm asking what would you think. So what would your answer be? What's that? Okay, so we've got one regeneration. I think we would say that because we understand who God is and His holiness. But like somebody who doesn't know the Lord, they would probably think, oh, well, party you went, motion is big. But I think... They probably fail to understand how holy God is, and so what it takes for a wretched sinner to be made to be made new is tremendous. They wouldn't see that. But I, one thing I think uh, Brendan might be touching on is that even when we're saved, we still sin. Why would we do that? Mm-hmm. You know, we're living in a fallen world. We, you know, still have uh, the flesh. Uh, we have the ability to not sin now. We are not a slave to sin anymore. Romans chapter 8. That doesn't mean that we don't sin, and that doesn't mean that we won't sin. And even in 1 John, when he talks about when you sin, he's not encouraging it by any means, but he's acknowledging that it will happen. And, you know, if we're brutally honest with ourselves you know probably goes on on a daily basis that have may have a lot more to do with your thoughts and your attitudes you're not out there murdering somebody every day or anything like that or robbing a bank uh but your your thoughts and your tongue you know trying to tame them to challenge yeah and that was my point is that when we read like the old testament or even try to bring pressure to a brother uh, if you truly know your state before God, being a child of God, being saved, it should always bring an automatic humbleness in seeing those things, and it should allow you to be able to see, like, children of Israel, like, wow, they keep persisting in their sin, that's definitely, most definitely apart from God's grace, but even in His grace, I still need Him to bring that mercy and be faithful, because I've been faithless, and I thank God that He remains to be faithful. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it's very encouraging. Good. Especially on knowing God, truly. Anyone else?
Dear gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we truly are blessed uh, that you are in our lives, that you are the one true God, that you've revealed yourself to us, and you've uh, made known to us, uh, not just uh, by the, the natural uh, matter and space and time that we see, but you've given us um, regeneration. You've opened our eyes to your truth. You've given us faith to believe that you are that the one true God, our creator, the creator of all the heavens and the earth. And you are not a God to be uh, considered uh, one to put in a box. We are, you're not a God that uh, wound up the universe and and you're now sitting back and just watching it unwind, but you are actively involved in our lives. You know every hair on our head, and it's just uh, wonderful to know how much you care for us, uh, that your love is uh, indescribably deep. Uh, you are our you know, magnificent uh, God, and we pray, Lord, that uh, in all, when we consider the the riches of what you've given us in salvation, that you have made us all part of one body with Christ being the head, uh, that we can uh, move forward in our lives knowing that we are uh, walking forward in your truth, the one truth that exists and uh, governed by a perfectly righteous and holy God. So we thank you for uh, what you have revealed to us. And I pray, Lord, that we can respond in a way that would bring honor and glory to you through our obedience to you, our love for you, and our love for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you uh, for this evening. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.